Uh, well, if you're new, if this is your first time here, or if you snuck in late, a massive welcome to you. My name uh, is Chris, in case you forgot it, or in case uh, you snuck in late. If you're joining us tonight, you're joining us at the back end of a conversation that we've been having for a number of weeks. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to do my best, if this is your first time with us tonight, to catch you up with what we've been discussing. Uh, and if anything tonight maybe sparks your interest and you want to jump in on this conversation uh, a little bit further, I would direct you to our Facebook page and our SoundCloud Beyond Church, and you can find parts one, two, and three uh, of this series up there. But tonight, uh, just to bring you up the speed, with, with this series, uh, we've been talking through a series called Unexpected Answers. And we, we started out in week one looking at the idea that in life, that there are, there are questions that you and I have. And, and some of them are small questions, but some of them are really big questions. Some of them are small questions like, uh, what's for lunch? You know, where do I leave my phone? What new shoes am I going to buy? But some of them are big questions, like does God exist? Is there meaning? Is there purpose beyond this world? Or is this all we've got? And we said that we have a tendency to ask questions, but then expect answers. So we ask a question, we don't ever really listen to the answer, because by the time we've asked the question, we already have this expectation of what kind of answer we'll get. And so we said in part one, and we looked at the idea that uh, if we really want to move past and really want to get to some real answers, we have to move past our expected answers and perhaps look for answers in places we don't expect. Uh, And then if you were with us in part two, one of our other communicators, Riley, was here, and uh, he looked at this idea that if we're honest, if we look around at the world, it is not going that well. If we're honest, the world that we live in is not perfect. But Riley said that in order to find out how we fix the world, We first need to determine what do we expect when we live life? What do we expect when we come to the world? He used this great example, this illustration. I don't know if you've ever done it. When you go to your fridge and you open it and there's no food there. And then you go away and then five minutes later you come back and there's still no food there. As if you expected there to be magically food appeared. And we looked at the idea that if we go, what, what are we going through life expecting? When we open the refrigerator door of our life, what are we expecting? And then last week, we looked at the idea that perhaps, perhaps maybe the questions that we have about life, is there a God? Is there purpose? Is there meaning? How do we fix what's wrong with the world? Perhaps the answers to those questions are not a what, but a who. The answers to our biggest questions potentially are not a what, not a little uh, nice, clean answer, but it's a who, it's a person. And and you know, as well as I know, that there, there are two different ways that you can know someone, right? You can know about someone, or you can know someone. You can know about people that are the famous, that are celebrities, that are sports people, that are musicians. With social media, we have so much access to these people these days. You could follow them on Snapchat and see what they're doing. You can follow them on Instagram. You can follow them on that new thing on Instagram that no one really knows what it does, but it kind of does the same thing as Snapchat. Uh, You can follow them on that, and you can know a lot about them. But they're not really your friends. You don't know them on a deep, personal level. You just know a lot about them. I thought uh, to to paint this picture, what I would do is I would tell you the first time I met my wife. Uh, I've been married now for two years, and I met my wife uh, when I was working out at Grace College. It's just out at Rothwell. And the first time I met her, I knew something about her. Uh, I was getting ready. I was walking across the oval at Grace, uh, getting ready to to coach some sports teams. (laughs) I looked up, and I was like, damn! Like, woo! Damn, that, that new teacher is really good looking. I need to go and talk to someone about that. And so I did. 
I did what, you know, like most uh, guys would do. I, um, I struck up a conversation. Uh, and really, when I say conversation, that's kind of generous. Really, uh, my, Emma's my wife's name. Really, Emma just paid me out about what I was wearing. But I took that as like my in. Because everyone knows when you've had a conversation with someone, it's okay to add them on Facebook. So I went and I added, I added her on Facebook. And then, of course, like a real man, I waited for her to initiate the conversation. I'd done the ad. That was my part out there. And so, you know, we started this dialogue on, on Facebook or chatting on text. And, and then I did what everyone does. And you can, you can pretend that you don't do it, but we all know secretly that you do. Is While we were, were having a chat and getting to know each other a little bit, I did the social media stalk. And if you don't know what the social media stalk is, it's when you start talking to someone or maybe you're interested in someone and you've got all their social media profiles to, get, to find out what they're really about. Because everybody knows what you're really about is online. And, and so I went through, you know, we did the Facebook, I did the Instagram, Snapchat wasn't a real big thing then, so like, didn't have Snapchat, Twitter, no one uses Twitter anyway, but I did the, I did the stalk. And I was pretty serious about this, I brought an advisory team on staff with me. And really that just means I went and did the stalking with all my mates. Um, <laughs> and together we formulated this opinion of what, of what Emma was about, just, just from pictures and uh, statuses, high school statuses. And so by the time it got to the point of actually having a date, of actually taking Emma out for coffee, I already had this idea in my mind of what Emma was about before I'd actually ever really had a good, solid conversation with her. And I'll be completely uh, honest, uh, in my opinion, I bat way above my average. I bat way above my average. And the thing that went through my mind when we went out to, to get coffee is, there is no way this girl's a Christian. She's way too good looking. She's way too good looking. I'd just never seen good looking Christians before. I was like, this is just, this is not going to happen. And so I'd formed this opinion about her. And I thought, for me, anyway, it was really important that, that I dated someone who was a follower of Jesus. Now, maybe you have different opinions of that. But for me, it just wasn't going to work if we weren't both on the same page. And so I thought, there's, there's one really easy way to figure out whether she's a follower of Jesus or not. I'll just bring Jesus up in the first 10 minutes of the conversation. That seems like a really rational thing to do. You're trying to get to know someone, like, bring Jesus up. It can only go one of two ways, really, really good, or really, like, the date was over within 30 minutes, like. So I brought Jesus up uh, in the conversation, expecting this answer, because, you know, I just social media stalked her, of course. I knew. And not only, then, but then Emma answered, and then she challenged me on a question. And then she pushed me a little bit further when it came to, to my faith and some of the things that, that I thought about Jesus. And it was in that moment that I realised... I know a lot of, about this girl, or I think I know a lot about this girl, but I don't actually know her at all. I don't actually know her. I don't, I don't, know, uh, I don't know what her faith life is like. I don't, I don't know, what her, you know uh, what, what her hopes, what her dreams, what her aspirations are. I, I just know what I've seen and the image that I've constructed in my mind. And for some of us, if we're really honest, this is the way we approach Jesus, the who, the central figure of Christianity. Maybe we know a lot about this person, but we don't actually know this person. We, we, we've maybe got our, uh, our understanding and we know about Jesus, maybe through some of his followers. And maybe you went to a church when you were younger and you, you had an understanding about Jesus, but you didn't actually know Jesus. Maybe you've seen what his followers do in the media. Uh, maybe you've just got a, a friend uh, who's a follower of Jesus 
and you formulated an opinion so that when someone says Jesus, you, you have this idea in your mind. <coughs> Excuse me. And I want to be really honest tonight. I want to be really honest because if you're new, if this is your first time, whenever you come to a church setting or any setting when someone has a microphone, you're kind of wondering what the agenda is. What is the agenda? Why is this person up there speaking? They've clearly thought through what they're going to say. They clearly want something from me. And, and I want to just lay it out right, right front and center exactly what my agenda is for tonight. I want you, regardless of whether you've been a follower of Jesus your entire life, or regardless of whether you don't even believe Jesus exists, or whether you're somewhere in between, I want you to take a step towards knowing Jesus. I want you to move one step closer and I want you to deepen your understanding of Jesus. Whether you've been a Christian your entire life or whether you've never, you wouldn't consider yourself a, a Christian at all. I want you to know or take a step towards knowing Jesus. And, and that's, that can be a tension that, that we wrestle with because as soon as I say that, as soon as I say I want you to know Jesus, there is going to be a whole lot of different ideas floating around people's minds about what I mean by that. Some of you have maybe had some different church experiences and you probably think I mean something really spooky or crazy, like throw your hand up or like you know, people are going to come and like lay hands on you, like none of that, don't worry, none of that. And maybe some of you, you've, you've, got, uh, you've been a follower of Jesus your entire life and you're like, well, I know Jesus, duh, I've got a church, oh, I'm, you know, I read my Bible, I know Jesus. And so tonight, to, to help us wrestle this tension to the ground, what I want to do is I want to look and an account that involves three different people and how these three different people came to know Jesus in a very, very different way. Because when I say know Jesus, we all come to that with our own baggage and our own ideas. So I want to look at maybe a different way or a different couple of ways that you could and we could begin to know Jesus. And this, uh, this account that we're going to look at is actually written by Jesus' best mate, John. Uh, so Jono writes this account. And it's, a, it's really an autobiographical uh, summary of Jesus' life. And in this, uh, where we're jumping in today, Jesus has just been uh, murdered three days prior. So Jesus' closest friends, his family, his parents, uh, are just kind of like in, in this stage of numbness. This, this person that they looked up to, this rabbi, this teacher that they exalted, was all of a sudden taken by the Romans, nailed to a cross, and, and uh, well, the women kind of hung around, but the, the blokes just, they ran off. They just ran off scared. So the blokes didn't even see Jesus die. And John picks up the account three days after Jesus' death. And we're going to pick it up. You can follow along in John uh, chapter 20 at verse 1. If not, the words will uh, come up on the screen. And this is what it says. It says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away. She's going to, to prepare the body for burial, do some things, and all of a sudden she gets there and the stone, like, it's open, the tomb's there. So she kind of freaks out and, and she ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, just so, this, uh, this author refers to this one disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and they're going to refer to it for the rest of the text, so I just want to let you know who that is. John is referring to himself. You know, he was writing the story, so he's like, yeah, I'm the one he loved, uh, we're besties. So, the one whom Jesus loved is John. And so Mary comes to them, and this is what Mary says. 
Mary says, Jesus has risen from the dead, just like he said he would. Pretty much what you expect, right? If you, if you know anything about, you know, church or anything, you know, you expect, yeah, okay, Jesus died and then he rose from the game. That's what you expect Mary to say. That's why it's hard to believe that Mary didn't say something like that. In fact, Mary didn't say those words. But that's what we would expect Mary to say. And this is one of the reasons that, that makes me believe that the author John was writing about something that actually happened. Because this is the words that he, he writes, Mary actually saying. It said, uh, Mary said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. They've taken the body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. For me, that, that just seems a little weird that Mary would say that. Mary has travelled with Jesus. She's, she's been hanging out with Jesus for, for quite a while. And Jesus has said on multiple occasions, he said, I'm going to die, and then three days later I'm going to rise. And then on another occasion, Jesus goes, okay, I'm going to die, and then three days later I'm going to rise. In fact, this was so well known that Jesus had said this, that Jesus' enemies put guards in front of his tomb so that his disciples wouldn't go and steal the body. And yet Mary sees the empty tomb and she goes, oh, someone's taken the body, I don't know what happened. Why? Is that the question? Why is she asking that question? And it's because given the culture that she was in, she had some big barriers to overcome, to believe that the tomb could possibly be empty. You see, around that, that culture that Mary was in, the Greeks and the Romans, they, they actually didn't believe that there was anything, uh, any bodily resurrection past this life. In fact, the Greeks and the Romans believed that, that the body was actually like dragged us down. They couldn't wait until they died, until they could be free from this physical body and they could, uh, their spirit could uh, live on. And then in the Jewish community, which Mary and Jesus was a part of, there was, there was still two competing views. The Sadducees, on one hand, they didn't even believe in a resurrection. And the Pharisees, they believed in a resurrection, but it happened right at the very end of time and everyone who believed in God was resurrected. So Mary comes to the tomb with that background knowledge, despite the fact Jesus said, I'm going to die and rise, and she goes, I don't know where the body is. I just can't overcome this hurdle to believe. And maybe some of you are in that boat. Maybe like you, you're a little bit like Mary, and you struggle to believe that a resurrection could happen or that a God could exist because of the cultural or the family or the schooling that you were brought up in. And there are barriers in your life to belief in God. And you say, there are things I believe, but it's just, it's too much of a jump for me to make it. And then, Mary's still there. So Peter and John are still there. And it says, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. And then John just adds in this kind of random bit, I just think because he's a dude. Uh, he says, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter <clears throat> and got to the tomb first. John just like, yeah, I won the race. Just in case anyone knows, I won. He said he, uh, so, uh, but, uh, so he gets there first, and he stooped and looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. I could imagine if, if, if I was John, if my best friend had just been murdered, I, I wouldn't want to go in there either. And John's like, this is just too much. This is too, I can see in, this is too much for me. But then it says, then Pe Simon Peter arrived, and Peter went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. 
So John, John sees what, what, uh, Peter sees what John had seen. He's right inside now. He's trying to make sense of this situation in front of him. It says, Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, once again, remember guys, it was me, John, I got there first, uh, also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Now, I highlighted that word saw because I want to clarify something. Oftentimes, we, we, we might read that and we might have a tendency maybe to just say, oh, yeah, well, John saw it and then all of a sudden magically believed. The, Greek, the little Greek word saw is actually this word bleepo. So I figure you should learn some Greek while you're here. This little Greek word bleepo. And it actually means that he stopped, he thought, he pondered, and he processed. So John walked in and he thought about it. He goes, there are linen wrappings lying here. That's abnormal for someone who seal a body and then leave the linen wrappings lying here. He pondered about it. He said, well, if they're going to steal the body, why would they leave the wrappings? That would mean they're ceremonially unclean in our culture. And after he had processed it, he finally said, well, well, it must be true. Everything Jesus was talking about must be true. Maybe he did rise from the grave. And after coming to this earth-shattering realisation, uh, Mary's, Mary's still kind of making her way. Peter's, Peter's kind of dumbfounded here. He doesn't know what to think of it. John's just realised, he's like, this, this Jesus guy is who he claimed to be. Guess what he did next? He said, Peter, let's go home. Him and Peter just like, just went home. We don't hear anything more about them in this account. Kind of bizarre. Meanwhile, Mary, Mary comes back into the scene and says, Mary's standing outside the tomb crying. Peter and John, such chivalrous men. Mary's crying and Peter, John's like, come on, Pete, let's go, mate. We've got stuff to do. Just leaves Mary there crying. <coughs> Excuse me. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. Now, Mary, uh, what happens next is that John tells us that Mary was so distraught that when she looked inside the tomb, she actually saw two angels. So she saw two angels, and uh, I've never seen angels before, and maybe you don't believe in angels, you're still kind of questioning the whole God thing, that's okay, but just imagine if you had seen two angels. What would your first reaction be? Because Mary's so upset, her first reaction is to turn to the angel and goes, do you know where the body is? Like, I don't know where the body is. Well, someone tell me where the body is. And the angel's like, no, no. Like, we don't know where the body is. Like, try like, hint, hint, wink, wink. And so Mary's still so upset, and she turns around and she leaves the tomb. And she sees a man, and she assumes that he's the gardener. And she walks up to the gardener, and she goes, have you, have you moved the body? Have you, did you, were you doing some maintenance, and perhaps, like, you just moved the body? Did you put him somewhere? I need to know what you've done with the body. Did you see anyone come in and take the body? And the gardener's like, no, I haven't moved the body. This gardener is actually Jesus. But Mary's so upset, she's so distraught, she has no idea that it's Jesus. And she's like, well, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do then. And then Jesus just says one word. He calls her by name. He says, Mary. And all of a sudden, in that instant, Mary realizes who he is. And Mary refers to him as Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. John writes that in to kind of give us a little Hebrew lesson as we're going along. And it takes a physical encounter with Jesus for Mary to actually believe he is who he said he was. It took a physical encounter for her to overcome that cultural barrier that she was wrestling with. And maybe, 
Maybe you're sitting there and uh, you're rightly asking the question because you're smart. You think, okay, that's great. It's a cool story, sort of, a little bit weird. But how does that help me take a step in getting to know Jesus better? How does that help me, wherever I am on, on this scale, know Jesus better? I want you to look at the three characters that, that, that are involved in this. Mary. Mary was just kind of like cruising around. Mary, no matter what they told Mary, someone stole the body. No matter what they told Mary, someone stole the body. They moved it. It couldn't, poss- it couldn't possibly have risen from the dead. Because Mary had to overcome such cultural adversity. John. John, it's apparently Jesus' best mate, sees the linen wrappings and goes, oh, I've got to think about this for a while. What could it possibly be? And then finally John comes around. Peter, Peter, we don't even hear what happens to Peter. Peter's still like dumbfounded. He's like, oh, I've got no idea what's going on. Peter, eventually, later in the story, goes on to be the leader of the Jesus movement once Jesus leaves earth. Peter goes on to be brutally murdered for his belief that Jesus rose from the dead. So how do these three people help us know Jesus better? Well, I think they point out something really, really important to us. And that is the first followers of Jesus didn't believe they had to have it all figured out to know Jesus. So many of us, uh, whether it's rightly or wrongly, perhaps believe that in order to know Jesus, in order to, to, to maybe know him a little bit better than they do, I've got, to, I've got to figure it out. I've got to answer some more questions for myself first. Maybe if you've pushed back against the church for a while, and I, I get it if you do, I, I totally understand it. But maybe one of the things and one of the reasons you push back is because you think, I've got to have all the answers in place. And someone has led you to believe that in order to know Jesus, you have to know the answers for everything. But if Mary thought they moved the body, if John had to think about it, and if Peter still had no clue what was going on, if these were the first followers of Jesus, really the first Christians, why would we think in our day and age that it has to be any different? Why can we not work it out and get to know Jesus with our unanswered questions, with our baggage, with our concerns, and bring those questions and that baggage before Jesus in that relationship? So what I wanted you to do in the last couple of minutes that we have is I want to give you something really practical that you can do this week to take a step towards knowing Jesus. We have this thing, it's called For Monday at Beyond, because we believe there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it doesn't impact you, if it doesn't change you for Monday. And the For Monday this week is, you guessed it, take a step in getting to know Jesus. Now, I brought this into two sections. One, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and one for those if you are uh, a follower of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. If you would not consider yourself a Christian, you might be like, well, what is my step? How, how would I take a step towards getting to know Jesus? I'm going to be really, really honest. Um, part of it might be, and I don't say this to be rude, I don't say it to be offensive, I say it because I care for you and perhaps no one else will say it to you. Part of it, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is realising that we are not as objective as we would like to think when it comes to the idea of God. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're sitting on both sides of the fence. Oftentimes I hear people who don't believe in God say, oh, well, you know, people who believe in God, doesn't matter what God, they do it for emotional reasons, they do it for psychological reasons. There's a vested interest for you to make your life happier by believing in God. I would argue the opposite is true as well. 
there is actually a vested interest for you not to believe in God. Because if you push back and maybe you don't want to know that God exists, if you think about it, if God exists, that means there's someone outside of you that created everything. There's someone outside of you that has a purpose and a plan for you. That means that you have the potential to live for something bigger, but you might have to surrender control. And let's be honest, none of us, regardless of our faith, regardless of how we grow up, can honestly look back and say we're objective when it comes to surrendering control of our life. So perhaps for you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might have to overcome that. You might have to overcome the hurdle that, that maybe you do believe in God. You're just not sure what he looks like. And no matter how much evidence anyone gives you, you just still push back. And maybe it's just getting real and understanding that at some point, someone's given me so much evidence, someone's answered so many questions that I have. Is it that I don't have enough evidence to take that next step? Or is it that I just don't really want to because I'm afraid of what I might find out or who this God might be if I actually got to know them? So here are the three practical steps you can take. Really simple, really easy. First of all, this week, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just pray. And I know that might sound weird, but if God doesn't exist, you talk to yourself anyway. Like, I talk to myself anyway. Like, if God doesn't exist, all you're doing is talking to yourself. But if you're in that boat, why don't you start, maybe just break the ice and say something like, I don't know if you're there, God, but, but I know that I've got a vested interest in this question. Would you maybe show yourself to me? Would you, would you help me to know you more? What have you got to lose? Another way I would encourage you to maybe take a step would be at the Connect Desk at the back. After the service, go, go, jump up to the Connect Desk and grab, an in, uh, grab a pack uh, from one of our uh, crew who will be there. And inside that pack, uh, you'll find a Bible and you can actually read Jesus' best, mate, best mate's account of his life. Just, just read the account of Jesus' life. It's, he wasn't very imaginative. He called it John, so you can, find, you can just open it up, John. Now, I'll, I'll warn you, there's like one John, two John, three John. Don't do the, not, not the ones with any of the numbers, just, just plain old John. Just read that. Or, the third option, if you're not a follower of, of Jesus, would be, chances are, you may have come with someone tonight. If you didn't come with someone, and this is your first time here, and you just uh, rocked up, welcome, we're glad to have you. Jump to the connectors, and one of our guys would love to take you for a coffee, or a burger, or a beer during the week to talk about and maybe answer some of your questions so you can get to know Jesus better. But if you came and you brought a friend with you, ask that friend out for coffee. Ask that friend out for beers or cocktails or burgers or whatever it is. And ask them and lay their questions in front of you and say, I really want to know Jesus and I've got some questions for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, well, I already know Jesus. What more is there, is there for me to know? Like, I've, you know I've, been, I've done the whole Christian thing for a while. I've got it down pat. I want to give you four really practical ways, really, really quickly, that you can begin to know Jesus even more and, and, and take that relationship and continue to grow that relationship. Because you and I know if we are in a relationship and we don't make a plan to invest time into that relationship, it, it doesn't go anywhere deliberately. And so I want you to deliberately invest in your relationship. So here are the four ways, and you don't, you don't have to do all four, just pick one. The first one, or first way, is to serve on a team. Serve on a team if you're not already serving on a team. Jesus calls us to actually show and actually love others the way that he loved, up, loved us, which means we have to serve. If you want to know Jesus better, serve 
the world that Jesus loves. The other way is to connect in a group. You know, we, we say that life is better connected. Life is better experienced in circles, not rows. Get to know other people who are journeying through life at the same stage of life as you and connect. The third one is the one that usually creates a lot of tension for people. Well, we say if you want to learn, uh, know more about Jesus, give a percentage. Give a percentage. Designate a percentage of your income to give to supporting the local church. And the reason we say this is because our heart is so connected to our wallet. And when we can trust God enough to free up resources that he has blessed us with already, and to trust that to growing the local church, you will experience and you will know God in a completely different way. And the fourth way that you can know God better if you're a follower of Jesus is to invite a friend. Invite, extend the invitation to a friend. It doesn't have to be to a, uh, our Sunday environment. It could be to a connect group. It could be to one of our socials during the week. But extend the invitation to a friend to join and show them this Jesus. Now, I want to wrap this up. And maybe for you, I understand, maybe there are a few of you who are still there and you've got this inner tension. You're kind of, you're kind of listening and you're kind of like arguing with me in your head. Because maybe you, you like want to take that step in getting to know Jesus a little bit better, but there's part of you that's like, ah, oh, but I'm pretty comfortable where I am. It's, it's pretty good here, Chris. Like, why, why should I? What, what's in it for me to take this step? And I want to let you know, just point blank, the only way you can actually get to know Jesus better is moving past knowing about him. The only way to know anyone better is to move past just knowing about them. And if you want to actually know Jesus, then you should know Jesus the way Jesus intended himself to be known. You should understand the, the message and the reason that Jesus came. See, Jesus came to be our saviour, not to be our sage. So Jesus can be your sage, he can give you inspiration, he can give you motivation, he can help you live a better life. And if you're just coming here and, and, uh, and, and you hear that and that's the reason you come because Jesus helps you live a better life, you are so welcome to keep on coming. But, but I just think it's in your best interest to know Jesus as he intended to be known. As a saviour, not a sage. And to help you maybe just wrestle with this, I want to I share with you as we close... Someone who was wrestling with that exact same tension. Her name, uh, maybe you've heard of her, her name was Anne Rice. So Anne Rice, she's a, a gothic fiction writer from the United States. She's written heaps and heaps of books. She actually, uh, she, her most famous series is uh, The Vampire Chronicles. Uh, she, she wrote this entire book, uh, Vampire Chronicles, and one of the books was called Interview with a Vampire. Uh, apparently it was a pretty big deal. It got made into a movie. So she's written all these books. And Anne Rice grew up in a Roman Catholic, in a Christian church. And then, uh, when she moved to, to pursue her writing career, she actually became an atheist and she dropped her childhood faith. She deconverted. And then later in life, she uh, decided that it would be fun to write a fiction story about Jesus' early life. You know, like, answer all the questions we always wanted to know. Like, did Jesus, like, punk his brother and, like, do miracles and stuff? Like, did Jesus just, like, walk on, like, walk on air as he was cruising around town? Like, and so she decided to answer all those questions. And as she was researching through the book and, and, and uh, the world around Jesus at the time, she actually led herself back to faith by the historical evidence she found for the, for the resurrection of Jesus. 
And after, I guess this is what you do if you're an author and you were a Christian, then you're an atheist and you come back to being Christian. She wrote, a, she wrote a novel about it. She wrote a story about her journey back to faith. And it was called, it's called Call Out of Darkness. And I want to share with you the, one, of the, one of the passages that she writes about in Called Out of Darkness, where she was wrestling with this tension of, but I feel like I have to know everything. Can I really take a step towards following Jesus if I don't have all the questions, if I don't have all the answers? What does it look like? And I want to share this with you as we wrap up, because this is what she writes. He, God, knew how or why everything happened. He knew the disposition of every single soul. He wasn't going to let anything happen by accident. Nobody was going to go to hell by mistake. This was his world, all this. He had complete control of it. His justice, his mercy were not our justice or our mercy. What folly to even imagine such a thing. You can tell she's an author because she uses cool words like folly, but I don't even know what that means. But <clears throat> and then she goes on. She said, I didn't have to know how my gay friends would find their way to... Oh, sorry, I didn't know uh, how he was... Sorry, go back one. I was reading the wrong screen. I didn't know how he was going to save the unlettered and the unbaptized or how he would redeem the conscientious heathen who had never spoken his name. I didn't have to know how my gay friends would find their way to redemption or how the hard-working secular humanist, or how my hard-working secular humanist friends could or would receive the power of his saving grace. I didn't have to know why good people suffered agony or died in pain. He knew. And it was his knowing that overwhelmed me. His knowing that became completely real to me. And this last part that she says is just so powerful. And why should I remain apart from him just because I couldn't grasp all of this? Why should I remain apart from him just because I didn't have all the answers to all of my questions? I could still begin to know him and take a step towards knowing him. Because despite the fact that you and I don't know Jesus completely, he knows us completely. Not the social media part of it that we tell our friends about, but the parts of us that we try to hide away. And just think about the fact that a God who knew everything about you wrote himself into history to die on a cross for you and for me. So that you didn't have to have the answer to all your questions, but you could bring your questions to him. And that you could wrestle through those questions with him. And if Jesus really did take your place, if Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is the saviour of the world and he died for your sins, if he wrote himself into your life, don't you think it's time that you took a step and you began to know him as opposed to just knowing about him? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the words that you've preserved uh, through history, through John's writing. And Lord, I just want to pray for anyone here tonight who maybe has a conception of you or an idea of you in their mind. Father, I pray for people who are wrestling with that tension that they would take that first step and realize well, they don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have it all together to follow you. None of us have it all together. That's why we need you. And Father, I pray that tonight, 
that maybe people who have been Christians for a long time, who have maybe come to a railroad and and maybe they've just been coasting through. Father, I pray that they would re-engage, that they would set up a plan to to get to know you more. And Lord, I pray for for people here who maybe have resisted the church, who, who have turned their back on Christians. Father, I pray they wouldn't turn their back on you. And Lord, I pray that despite their experiences in the past, that they they wouldn't overlook Jesus because of his followers. And Father, I pray that they would take that step and begin to just move towards knowing you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.